there is a large body of scientific research out there that is basically demonstrating something that I think we all pretty much know already, yeah, but it's, it's showing the, the profound depth of this observation, and, and that is this, that the families that you all came from, that you all grew up in, your family has had a huge impact on who you are today. Uh, the opportunities that a child has, the support that they receive, the direction that they're given, all of that is influenced by the families that they grew up in. And a prime example of family influence upon a person's life can be seen in the life of this man. As you might have guessed, those of you who maybe are somewhat familiar with sports, you might be used to seeing him in a different jersey. He's with this team this year. Uh, but Tom Brady was raised in a home of enthusiastic sports fans. You probably would have guessed that. Growing up, he watched his three older sisters play every sport imaginable. And whenever his sisters took to the court or to the field, there was Tommy, as they like to call him, cheering them on. He was just immersed in this culture of, of sport. At an er a very early age, he was intrigued by the game of football. And uh, it's, it's no wonder that this happened because growing up in the San Francisco area, the hometown team there being the 49ers, all the home games and where the 49ers were playing, Tom Brady and his family were there in the stadium cheering them on. And so he had the chance to watch some of the, the greatest quarterbacks to ever play the game take the field and, and just do incredible plays. And as he watched them, he was inspired to be just like them. Over the years, his family has encouraged and supported him through highs and lows. His football career did not start off very bright or, or, or wonderfully, and they encouraged him through that time. They've been there for him. On the field, he carries on this family tradition of toughness and athleticism. In the 19th century, Tom Brady's family immigrated to the United States from Ireland during the potato famine. Really difficult time. They went through really hard, uh, a really hard situation, but they immigrated to the United States, and from the East Coast, they traveled all the way over to the West Coast during the, during the gold rush. There, his great-grandfather became a professional baseball player, said to be one of the greatest players to ever play the game. This is, this is his heritage. This is what is passed on to him. Tom Brady's family has undoubtedly shaped the person that he is today. And tomorrow, he will be playing in his 10th career Super Bowl. Unbelievable. Starting quarterback, 43 years old. Amazing. And I'm sure that when he takes the field, that his family will be cheering him on from someplace, as they always have been. Supportive, encouraging families— have a powerful influence over the lives of the children that are raised in those families. And significantly, the Bible calls God our Father. This means that God has a family. And based upon what we know about God, being in his family is an amazing experience. The Bible tells us that God is love. Last week, if you heard Pastor Michael's sermon, he talked about what some of this means, that, that God is kind, that God is good. We just sang about that, that he's patient. 
He lives for the blessing and for the good of others. He cares for his children, and he leads us to experience this same kind of life of loving and service uh, to other people. But as good as all of this sounds to, to be a part of the family of God, it's easy for you and I to doubt if we really are his children. There's a couple reasons for this. The first one is, if you and I are children of God, then doesn't it make sense that our lives, our character, should resemble his? And so if we look at our life and in our character and we see things that don't resemble God's character, in fact, if we see most things not resembling him, we can, we can doubt. It's easy for us to doubt. Maybe, maybe I'm not a child of God. There's another really big reason, and that is when bad things happen to us. How could God allow one of his children to suffer? So these two things are some, some big reasons why people might doubt if they really are a part of the family of God. These doubts can leave us feeling deeply insecure. But thankfully, the Bible, it gives us answers to these questions. And it shows us that in spite of our shortcomings, in spite of our circumstances, what's happened to us, the things that we go through, we can know that our place in the family of God is secure. Well, if you're just joining us, either here in person or, or online, uh, we've been talking lately about God's powerful love. That's the sermon series that we're in right now called Powerful Love. Now, next week, Pastor Michael will be wrapping this series up uh, with a special message. You mentioned this earlier, but I just want to repeat it again here. Special message on romantic love. We're going to talk about how this is a, is a gift from God, and, and, and this teaching from the Bible is so encouraging for our families, for marriages, for people who want to understand marriage better and are headed in that direction. It's going to be uh, all about that. It's a special message on romantic love for Valentine's Day weekend. So if you don't have plans for how you're going to do something nice for your Valentine, or even if you do, you can come and bring them to church and know that they're going to get something extra special. There's going to be a delicious uh, treat that we're going to give to each person who comes next week. And for those people who bring a guest, we have a special book uh, for you who bring a guest and also for guests that come. So uh, please plan on that. You don't want to miss that. Um, today, we're going to be looking at the, a Bible teaching, a teaching that comes right from Scripture that saves us from feeling insecure about God's love, saves us from being insecure about that. N no matter who you are or what you've done, you can be confident that your place in God's family is certain. The title of the message this morning is Secure in God's Family. Before we open the Word of God, I'd like to just pause for prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, as has been mentioned already, save us from misconceptions about you. May we see the truth about who you are, about who we are as children of God. And I pray that you give us the faith and the heart to just accept what you say about us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our text this morning is Romans chapter 8. 38 and 39. I want to give you a moment uh, to go ahead and turn there. Romans chapter 8. We're going to be looking at these uh, two verses uh, to get started here. For many people, this word family, it may not have good memories attached to it. Perhaps you grew up in a dysfunctional home. Perhaps there was a lot of fighting uh, that, that when you think of family, you think of um, discord and, and disharmony. Um, perhaps there was coldness and, and, and distance 
between the, the members uh, in, in your family. Maybe your father was not the most loving, kind, and caring person. And so when you think about family or, or calling God your father, being a part of his family, this may not be something that you get really excited about. Maybe something you even want for yourself. But even if you have a wonderful family, even when you think of family, it's just warm and fuzzy. You have all kinds of wonderful memories. It is still possible to have a misconception of what God is really like. Those impressions that that we get from our authority figures that inform us about who God is, it's possible to have a misconception of God, even if those authority figures were wonderful people. Why? Because even the best of parents, even the best of people, fall short when it comes to demonstrating the truth about who God is. So here in Romans chapter 8, Paul, the apostle who wrote this letter to the church in Rome, he sets the record straight about the truth of what God's family is really like. What does it look like to have God as our father and to be, far, part, to be a, a member of the family of God? I'll just highlight a few of the, of the observations in verse 1 of Romans chapter 8. If you're part of the family of God, there is no condemnation. Man, if you've grown up in a family where there's condemnation, this is just music to our ears. No condemnation. In verse 26, he says, God knows we struggle to talk with him, and so he gives us his spirit that intercedes for us. It speaks, the the spirit of God speaks on our behalf, and he communicates the desires of our heart with, with groanings, it says here, with utterances that transcend human language. So when our language falls short to be able to express what we want to express to God, the Spirit of God goes there and expresses that, helps us to communicate. In verse 28, it says, in every circumstance, as a a member of God's family, God is at work in your life. Good things come, bad things come, it doesn't matter. God is at work in every circumstance for your good. And then in verse 37, he says that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We can be confident as those who are members of God's family have this special, incredible experience. God's family is heaven on earth. There's great communication. There's the power to overcome sin. And God works for the good of each person regardless of our circumstances. In God's family, his warm and loving arms embrace every one of his children— Regardless of what life brings to us, who would not want to live in a family like this? Whether your family was good or bad, this is the ultimate family you want to be a part of. And in verses 38 and 39, the Bible tells us how we can know that our place in this family that we're talking about here is secure. Listen to what it says in verse 38. Paul says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, Neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's family is unlike any earthly family because his family, the closeness and the love and the connection, his family cannot be affected by the circumstances of our life or the circumstances here on this world. 
to make this absolutely clear, Paul lists here in these verses, verses 38 and 39, he lists every possible threat to our experience with the love of God. Like contenders in a boxing match that are being brought into the arena against the heavyweight champion called love, Paul considers all of them. He says, death. What about death? No, not even death can separate us from the love of God. Not, nothing in this life can separate us from the love of God. Next there is the influence of evil angels and demons, these spiritual powers that are incredibly powerful that can trip us up and mess us up and, and tempt us. He says, nah, those are not powerful enough to overcome the champion love. Then he talks about the present. Whatever's going on in your life right now, there is nothing happening in your life right now that can separate you from the love of God. Anything that you might be worried about the future. We all have all kinds of uncertainties and worries about the future. There's nothing in the future that can separate you from the love of God. Then there are powers. No human authority, no human organization can defeat love's hold on you. Then there is height or depth. What is he talking about there? This is actually a first century expression that refers to the power of fate. They believed in fate. They believed that the heights of the, the heavens where the stars are, the depths of the earth, somehow determined your life. Fate cannot separate God's love from you. And if there's anything else, he just kind of sums it up. Finally, anything else in all of creation, if there's anything else that he missed, he says, not even that can separate you from the love of God. Against every possible contender, Paul emphatically states that love, God's love, cannot be defeated. Nothing can separate you from God's love. Your place in his family is secure. Here is why. Here is why he can say that. It's because your place in God's family has nothing to do with what you've done. Your place in God's family has nothing to do with what has been done to you. You see, it's an obvious thing, but let me just make the observation. Children do not choose their family. And that's why our place in God's family is secure. He calls himself our father, which means we are his children. Whether we choose it or not, that's just the way it is. For people in Bible times, the idea of family, the concept of family, was a really, it was a big deal. Family determined a person's identity, what kind of life they would live. Sometimes even the family that you came from would determine what your occupation would be. It, it was a huge influence in people's lives. And often when people are mentioned in the Bible, they are identified by who their parents were, right? And for some people, that was a good thing. For some people, that wasn't such a good thing. Jesus, for example, he's often identified as the son of Joseph the carpenter, which necessarily wasn't a good thing. But this is how people are identified. Whole chapters in the Bible are devoted to recording genealogies of families. And chances are, if you've ever read through the Bible and you've come across a chapter that says, so-and-so was the son of so-and-so, who was the son of so-and-so, who was the son of so-and-so, chances are you didn't get really excited about that chapter. That wasn't like, wow, I had a major spiritual breakthrough because I read this. Probably not. Here's why. Our Western mindset is more focused on individuals and individuality. We want for people to own their destiny. We want, we want for people to make their decisions. If they make a mistake, we want for people to own that. 
We want to encourage people to, to make their choices and to be the people that they're supposed to be. And absolutely, God has made us individuals. But the fact is that being a member of the human family has shaped our lives in certain ways that we as individuals have no power to overcome. That's the reality. We might be individuals. We might be able to choose and and, and make, make some important decisions, but there's some things that we simply cannot change. Why? Because we are part of the human family. Please turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul helps us understand this, but I'm going to try to give a little explanation so the, the verse uh, really hits home and, and we're, we're able to understand it better. Biblically speaking, biblically speaking, all of our problems that we face in this world and in this life, all of our problems are family-related. Pastor Brian, how could you make that statement? Follow, follow me. The reason you and I sin It's not merely because we have the power to choose and we all choose to sin. The reason you and I sin is because Adam and Eve chose to sin, our first parents. And so everyone who is born from Adam and Eve, everyone uh, on this this earth, has been influenced by their sin. They're, They're part of this sinful family. No one has to teach us to be selfish. We naturally do that because we're part of the human family. We're children of Adam. We inherit this from him. Now, if this fact could be changed, if, if our, our ancestry could somehow be changed, then all of our problems really would be solved when it comes to doing what is right and, and making right choices and living a life that resembles the children of God that we are. But unfortunately, our problem is, is that we cannot change our parents now, just follow me. I know I might be saying some things that might sound ridiculous. Of course, we can't change our parents. That, but that is our problem. It's, it's who our parents are. And we can't change it. But God can. He can actually change who our parents are. Follow me. Listen to what Paul, the way Paul describes Jesus in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Look what he says in verse 45. He says, so it is written, the first man, Adam, that's the father of the human race, Adam, became a living being. He's quoting Genesis there. The last Adam, who is this? The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. Here, Paul describes Jesus as the last Adam. That means our parents have been changed in Jesus. That means Jesus is our new family. He is the father. He is the spiritual father of the human race. He's called the last Adam. And so the experience of Christ is now passed down to all of his children, just like the experience of Adam is passed down to all of his children. You had no choice in that. But because Jesus is the last Adam, we can have a completely different experience. We can bear the image of God because of what Jesus has done. Jesus, his humanity, makes our place in the family of God secure. Why? Because he is the last Adam. And for this reason, we can call God our Father, and his Spirit our Helper, and Jesus our Lord, because of what God has done. This is not wishful thinking. It's because children of God have special privileges. Now, if you've been around children, 
you remember your own childhood, if you're a young person this morning, if you've raised children, you're familiar with how this works. When a child needs something, they are very confident. When a child is hurting, they are confident when they go to those, those loving people in their life and they say, please hold me. They're confident about that. When they're scared at night, they just leave their room and come and climb into bed. They don't ask for permission. They confidently go to their parents' bed, climb in there. If they're hungry, they go to the refrigerator or the pantry or they take it from the counter or from your plate. There's confidence. If they need money, they instantly become high-pressure salespeople like they've had years of training. It's amazing. You know, a father of, of a teenager, he says, when, when I see my daughter coming, I just start reaching for my wallet. Just like, here, what do, you, what do you need? And if they want to use the car, sometimes they take it without asking. Why? Why is it? Why is it that children have such confidence? Because they are secure that they are part of the family and that these things are all theirs. As children of God, we have special privileges. We have special access to the one who created everything. In fact, he expects us to come confidently to him with our requests, knowing that he cares for us. And of course, when God answers our prayers and and brings unexpected blessing into our life, we can't help but feel affirmed that we are children of God. But when God allows us to suffer, it can be very confusing. Like, how how is that possible? This is not the way it's supposed to work. When bad things happen to us and to others, we want to know, where is God? Where is God? How could this happen? Where is God when people suffer from sickness? Where is God when children are abused or the elderly are taken advantage of? Where is God? Where is God when people suffer poverty and when people suffer from hunger? Where is God? And where is God when I choose to sin and I make myself suffer or I cause other people to suffer? Where is God in all of this? To answer this question, please turn with me to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 25. Here, Jesus gives us an insight into God's perspective on suffering. And here in these verses, 42 to 45, Jesus is talking about the judgment of humanity. He tells us how. He tells us how the conversation will go at the end of time in the judgment when he talks with people who have failed to help those who are in need. These are people who suffer in this life. These are people who have struggled. These are people who have gone through some really hard times. And notice, when people are suffering, notice where God is. Listen to what Jesus says, Matthew chapter 25, starting with verse 42. For I was hungry. This is Jesus speaking, God in human flesh. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. Then they will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? Then he will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. 
Notice that God doesn't just have pity on people who are suffering. He doesn't just say, you know what? I think that as followers of of Jesus, as members of the family of God, you should look out for people who are in need because when I see them suffering, it makes me hurt. He doesn't just say that. Where is God when people suffer? God is so closely identified with us that Jesus relates to it. In the, he is suffering with us. He suffers in the person of each suffering individual. He says, I was hungry. He says, I was thirsty. I was the stranger. I was the immigrant who needed to be cared for. I was the one who was in prison who was sick. I needed clothes. Where is Jesus when we suffer? He is with us. He is going through that suffering with us. Suffering is no indication that we are not loved. It's no indication. Because God is suffering with his people. You are not alone when you suffer. God is with you, intimately with you. He doesn't just have his arm around you. He is feeling that same suffering himself. He experiences it in the first person. We suffer because we live in a sinful world. Bad things happen in this world. There's sin here, and bad things just happen. People do things that hurt other people. But when we suffer, God is present with us, suffering with us. Why? Because you and I are his family. There is this intimate, close connection. No matter how isolated or alone you might be feeling, God is with you in your suffering. And if God is with you, No matter what happens to you, nothing can keep his love from holding your heart, from holding who you are on the inside. Nothing can touch this. He is holding you. He is with you. When you accept the closeness that God has with you as members of his family, you cannot help but be changed to resemble him. In his character of love. He would transform it. He will, he will give his image to you. He will put his image in your life more and more as you recognize this closeness. He rubs off on you. He's that close. Although your place is secure in the family of God, the sad reality is some will choose to live as if they are outsiders. If you insist on earning your place in the family of God with your good works, or if you demand that God's love should prevent all suffering in your life and in the lives of others, then you will never know what it's like to live with God as your family. It's on his terms, and he is with you. But if you are willing to accept that God has chosen you, and nothing can separate you from his love, the truth, this truth, that God is with you, that you are children of God, This truth will give you confidence to trust your Father. And as you lean into his loving presence in your life, every moment of your life, his love will shape you into his image. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege of calling you Father. Thank you that we can, as it were, just open your refrigerator, just climb into your bed, just eat the food off your plate. Thank you that you welcome us because we are one with you in Christ. Thank you that because of Jesus, we can call you family. And I pray, God, that we would recognize your closeness to us and that your love would transform us into your image. In Jesus' name, amen.